For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in a newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. What if a change in classroom practice could lead to change in reading outcomes? What should reading instruction include to ensure all students have the opportunity to succeed? What does cognitive science tell us about learning to read? And why aren't those learnings applied in our classrooms? Welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert from Amplify Education. Join us every two weeks as we talk with Science of Reading experts to explore what it takes to transform our classrooms and develop confident and capable readers. What an honor to have Tim Shanahan as our guest on today's episode. I've heard many folks say that nobody knows literacy research like Tim, and that makes him the perfect choice for this podcast. His list of accomplishments include leading the National Reading Panel, National Literacy Panel for Language Minority Children and Youth, the National Early Literacy Panel, and he helped author the Common Core State Standards. Check out the show notes for his full bio, an amazing body of work. Today, Tim and I focus on middle school literacy needs and what instruction should look like to ensure students are progressing and prepared. We hope you enjoy. Well, Tim, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you as a guest today. Happy to be here. I always like to start by asking our guests to explain to our listeners, you know, your journey and how in the world did you end up being one of the leading experts on the subject of literacy? Uh, the, e- the latter part of that question is the easier part to answer. I got old. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I actually had just figured it out uh, couple months ago and in September uh, like two months ago I was uh, I've been teaching reading and studying reading for 50 years as of uh, uh, September 2019. Congratulations wow that's amazing. I was actually kind of amazed myself it uh, it it, uh, went fast and I've you know over that time I've done you know I've been a, a teacher and a, a, a tutor and a, a, a coach and, uh, you know, a, a district administrator and a professor and researcher and so on. So, you know, you wear enough hats for enough years, you get pretty good at something. So that's that's how that came about. Uh, you know, if I, I know every so often I'll hear from a, usually a young professor wanting to 
to know and you know how to uh, do this and it's kind of you you do it you know one day at a time you just uh, you know keep reading and studying and trying to figure things out and over a very long period of time uh, people start to listen to you. Yeah, I've heard people say that nobody knows the reading research better than you. Uh, you know, I, one of the things that I had a great uh, opportunity with was, you know, first the National Reading Panel, and then the federal government had, you know, two follow-up panels, that one that looked at uh, early childhood literacy and one that looked at uh, second language literacy. And being on all those panels and, and having to to deal with all that research and, and so on certainly put me in a in a, a, a situation that I never would have been if I had just uh, you know done this all on my own you know you would have never had the drive to to read that many studies and study that many studies and and, and you know talk to you know we had some pretty great scholars on on those various panels and and when they were you know working these things through you know I was always uh, you know, close by, you know, to, to talk to them about the, this stuff. So I really, uh, you know, had a, an incredible opportunity to, to get to know the research much more thoroughly than would be typical. Yeah, it certainly is a community effort. You know, the cliche, it takes a village, but it takes a village to become an expert, I would imagine, too. Oh, it, it really, really does. You know, you, you, Every time I think I really know what I'm doing and, and trust my interpretation, you know, I'll talk to a, a colleague who will have some insight to it that I totally missed or, you know, just would have never come up with. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's really how any scientific field works. You know, no matter how good you think you are or how much you think you know, uh, you know, there's always somebody who's got some information, some data, that you're not aware of and uh, you know you better pay attention. <laughs> yeah, keeping an open mind is so important. I know that you know the science of reading has reemerged and we've done a lot of talking about what kids need in the younger grades, you know, in terms of word recognition and language comprehension. What we haven't talked about is what does that mean in the older grades? And you're the perfect guest because we wanted to talk about what the science of reading means at the other end of Scarborough when kids get to middle school. And we'd really like to pick your brain on that topic. Sounds good. And I'm, I'm excited by that opportunity. Uh, you know, these days that term, you know, science of reading has uh, to a great extent come to mean uh, you know phonics instruction or, or phonics and phonemic awareness instruction but obviously uh, science tells us uh, quite a bit more about reading instruction and and reading is is still being developed as kids are in middle school and high school and so on so uh, thank you for that that uh, recognition and uh, yeah let's let's dig in on this so what is, it, what is it that middle school kids need to have? Where should we be focusing? And what's the development look like for them? Well, you know, let's just, you know, there, there definitely are a handful of, of kids at, at that level who are still struggling. You know, they're dyslexic or perhaps have some other kind of, you know, reading uh, problem or disorder or, you know, just haven't had the opportunity to be taught. So there are still, a, you know, a handful of these older kids who are going to need you know, decoding instruction of some kind, but but that isn't 
uh, you know, where most kids are. That isn't what most middle school teachers should be doing. That that becomes more of a, a you know, a specialized kind of problem. So the things for the the developmental uh, uh, reader, the the youngster who, even if they're behind, you know, they're behind maybe a year or two. Uh, there are you know a handful of things that research tells us that they really need to to get instruction in and certainly one of those is vocabulary mm. words are important with little kids uh, particularly because they need to be able to decode them words are important with older kids because they particularly have to know their meanings and and uh, so learning the meanings of words and and learning the how to use the morphology of the language uh, are are you know a big deal, uh, you know. If you look at the the correlation between vocabulary and comprehension of young readers, uh, it's a very very low uh, uh, correlation. But if you look at the correlation, you know, by the time uh, kids are in in middle school, uh, it, it's actually gotten quite high, and it continues to increase as as kids move up the grades. Uh, comprehension becomes more and more dependent on on vocabulary. So that would certainly be one area of interest and concern. So we should start that really early too, even though in the younger grades, vocabulary isn't as correlated to comprehension, it's still beneficial to start it early and keep it going. Yeah, I mean, if somebody were bringing me in and saying, you know, we need to raise our first grade reading achievement, you know, how much time should we put into vocabulary? I, I probably wouldn't Put a lot, devote a lot of time to it. On the other hand, if if our concern isn't first grade, but it's how well are these kids going to say graduate high school? Um, yeah. <laughs> not dealing with vocabulary early on is sort of like leaving a time bomb for later. And, and so you know, uh, yeah, we want to you know build kids' language, uh, increase the the numbers of words that they know the meanings of, and and their ability to to make sense of words and context and all that kind of thing from the beginning, uh, but you're certainly going to increase your attention to it uh, as you move up the grades. I think for a lot of middle school kids, they get too little work on vocabulary, and a lot of times that work isn't, isn't very good, to tell you the truth. Uh, so that's one area. Uh, a, a second one, and I know you have an upcoming a podcast with Tim Rosinski, so I don't want to steal his thunder too much, but <laughs> certainly, uh, you know, we again, a, a, an area we don't necessarily talk about a lot with middle school, but oral reading fluency, that ability to read a text so that it sounds like language. Um, if, if you look, even uh, kids who are right on grade level are still increasing in fluency, usually throughout the middle school grades. Uh, you know, if kids are on track and doing really well, typically they'll they'll get a, about as fluent as they need to be by about the end of eighth grade. Uh, okay. But of course, that means that there's still you know substantial uh, you know growth needed during those years. And and of course, not all of our kids are right on level. And so you know certainly uh, this idea of teaching fluency in middle school and high school uh, you know belongs there. Um, I know Tim has been doing some studies with high schools and even colleges and finding you know substantial numbers of readers who frankly are, are, are too disfluent to comprehend well. And, and so this idea of building these kids fluency uh, is, a, is a real important one and it's 
often really neglected at these levels. It, it isn't listed in standards typically, and, and, and so it just doesn't get taught, but it's a mistake not to. A lot of times the only thing you'll see in a middle school, you know, if people think that they're addressing fluency is they'll do something like, you know, round-robin reading as they take them through the social studies book. You know, Mary, right. would you read the first paragraph to us? And Johnny, would you read the second? Um, that's not going to build kids' fluency sufficiently that you're going to get the, the boost in comprehension that you want to see. Uh, a third area, you know, why do we teach vocabulary? It improves comprehension. Why do we teach oral reading fluency? It improves comprehension. Uh, but, but there are some things we can do more directly with meaning, uh, and, and that is there are some explicit uh, reading comprehension skills that can be taught. Um, it, it's, in fact, I, I probably shouldn't have used the word skills, strategies. Um, one of the things that you want readers to do is to be uh, intentional. <clears throat> you want them to try to learn. You want them to um, try, you know, when a lot of times, uh, you know, students, especially if they're doing assigned work, it, they're just trying to get it done. Uh, teacher Ted said, read these 10 pages. I'm going to read these 10 pages. I'm not necessarily going to think about them. I'm not going to try to understand it, but I'm going to do my homework. I will read the 10 pages. Uh, what you really want kids doing is reading those 10 pages and trying to understand them. And so doing things like, you know, summarizing along the way, you know, what has the author told me so far? Uh, you know, uh, uh, are there parts of this that I'm not remembering? You know, I should go back and look again. Uh, that kind of thing is, is really important. Monitoring your comprehension, paying attention to whether you're understanding. Uh, you know, studies of adults say that we're we're unconscious about 11% of the time on average when we're reading, you know, we're just, we're not there. You know, you're thinking about other things and, uh, you know, but you got to catch yourself and, and uh, you know, essentially stop and go back and, and reread that. Again, kids don't necessarily do those things. And so there's instruction in, in those kinds of strategies that are useful. Uh, a, a second area of that I would call um, written language. And I've already talked about vocabulary and how teaching vocabulary helps uh, kids to comprehend. But there are other aspects of language that we know that if we, we work on those, uh, we can improve uh, students' comprehension. And so, you know, a lot of times the reason why kids are having trouble understanding the text is the sentences are complicated. Uh, or they're written in a style that, you know, just throws the kids. You know, maybe it's passive voice or maybe it's... Uh, you know, there are a, a lot of, uh, you know, dependent and independent clauses all kind of stitched together. Um, and, and so teaching kids how to break down those kinds of sentences and, and to, you know, make sense of them and to, you know, find the verb and, and, and do things like that are, are really quite useful. Uh, or another one is, is cohesion. Uh, you know, when we uh, write a text, it, it, it isn't just a list of ideas that the ideas have to connect with each other. And research shows that we can teach students this and when we do their comprehension goes up. And, and so, you know, learning how to, oh, you know, track an idea across text uh, through the various ways the author chooses to, to, to state that, uh, you know, sometimes they do it through repetition, sometimes they do it through synonyms, sometimes they do it through pronouns. Uh, you know, that kind of thing uh, is useful. 
And, and finally, discourse structure. Uh, substantial body of research showing that teaching kids how to recognize how an author has organized their ideas and, and to use that organization as a tool <clears throat> to hold the information in your own memory. Uh, so, you know, there are all of those kinds of things can, that can be uh, taught and, and that can improve reading. Can I just add one more on comprehension? And, and that is <clears throat> a lot of times when we focus on strategies, and I said that can be a good idea, research is very supportive there, or when we focus on written language, and I've said that's a good idea. When we get real involved in that, a lot of times what happens is we lose sight of the text itself. Uh, you know, teachers start to go, well, you know, he did really well with his predictions today. He didn't understand the text, but that's sort of okay. <laughs> or, you know, he, he was able to break down those sentences the way I wanted. He didn't remember anything that he'd read, but, you know, it was, you know, the whole purpose of doing any of those is to make the content available to the kids. And so it is absolutely essential in any comprehension lesson uh, that the kids come away with knowledge. <laughs> they learn, you know, whatever the content of that text was, including literature, by the way. So, you know, those are the things you want to see going on in comprehension, building those strategies, increasing that knowledge of, of written language, and, and building knowledge. Uh, you know, if we, I know a lot of reading programs uh, do things like test kids' skills. You know, we've been teaching reading skills for the last six weeks. Now we want you to, to show us on this quiz that you know them. But they very rarely go back and test the kids' knowledge of the selections that they read to get there. And I think that's a big mistake. We, we ought to be trying to make sure the kids develop that knowledge. Yeah, it seems like on a, uh, on a macro level, at least that's what comprehension is all about, right? Like using text and accessing a text to come away from it, knowing something different, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and so the, the social studies or science teacher gets that. And, and they often don't give enough guidance to the kids in how to make sense of their text because they're so focused on the content. The reading teacher tends to go the other way. They get so focused on the skill that they want to get across that they forget that, you know, you're not just practicing this skill, you're, you're practicing it on, on something that can be a source of knowledge and that part of your job is to make sure the kids come away with that knowledge and, and not just, oh yeah, you know, he was able to, to you know, write a three-sentence summary, so I was happy. Yeah, but did he actually understand the text? Did he come away with much knowledge? Is he going to remember it next week? Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. that isn't always uh, the reading teacher's uh, uh, focus, but it, it, it needs to be. Sure. So if, if I just say back to you what I think I heard you say about comprehension is that really there's sort of two buckets, if you will, about comprehension knowing that knowledge or new and extended knowledge is like our ultimate goal, that there's a series of strategies a reader engages with, but there's also this, uh, like this closer attention to the written language or the sentence level to understand how sentences sort of work together. And it brings you to sort of a greater understanding. Yeah, you know, both at the sentence level and then all those connections among sentences or, the, you know, how the text is organized yeah. and such. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I don't think we, 
we spend enough time on that. Um, I do think people these days, at least in, in my observations, tend to be doing maybe a bit better with things like comprehension strategies that they've, they've kind of learned to, to do those and are, are making sure that those are part of the kids' daily routines. But they're not necessarily making sure that the kids' ability to, to think about language is, is, uh, is really growing. I mean, I can give you an example. Yeah, uh, The uh, linguists, uh, tell, computational linguists tell us that the English language is changing. Now, of course, languages are always changing. But in, in this particular instance, what they're talking about is our sentences are getting to be more like German sentences in that the verbs are coming later and later in the sentence. This is important because when you're trying to understand uh, language, whether it's written or oral, uh, we're told that to do that, you have to find the verbs. You know, you might not know you're looking for a verb when, when you're listening to me or when you're reading a text, but you're looking for those verbs so that you can connect the other ideas to those actions or states of being. And what's happened to English sentences over especially the last 50 years is the verbs are migrating further and further to the right. And this is largely coming up about because of scientific language. Uh, the, 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 the subjects that the, of, of the sentences are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, they're using fewer adjectives and more phrases and so on to, to explain these, these subjects. So the verbs are getting hidden. And so you, you have you know, a 12-year-old kid who's trying to read the science book and he's struggling with it. He doesn't know why, but it's just, it seems so dense. It, it just seems like it's a whole bunch of nouns. He can't, he can't make sense of it. And there's no teacher there sort of saying, hey, now look at this sentence. Let's see if we can find a verb. Let's just go through and do that first. Uh, you know, let's see, you know, if we can break this sentence down and figure out what it's really saying. Nobody's really showing kids to do that very often. And, and when what we find is when they do, the kids do better. So... Uh, interesting. You know, working with that kind of thing matters. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds a little like back in my schooling when we learned grammar, right? And um, so there's a connection to grammar here, but there also must be sort of a reading-writing connection. Like if we're teaching kids to write at this kind of level, uh, that must impact what they're doing on, right, on the reading side of it. Yeah, you know, when I said that we had to teach vocabulary and oral reading fluency and comprehension explicitly, I, I didn't get to the, the, the fourth one, which is writing. And, and it, it, yeah, reading and writing are very connected at these grade levels, especially uh, in terms of things like text structure. Uh, and, and, you know, there the are substantial research findings showing that teaching kids to write about what they read, to summarize it, to critique it and analyze it, to, to synthesize information from multiple texts, increases kids' comprehension, increases what they learn from the text, so that becomes very, very important. Uh, the grammar that I'm talking about, though, isn't the formal grammar that I got in school or that you probably got in school. It's, it's more of an applied grammar. It, you know, it's, it's less about can you, um, uh, you know, do you know, some kind of a, 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 a sentence diagram uh, and much more can you make sense of what this sentence has to say and what do you have to do to understand it. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, there are lots of sentences that a typical middle schooler reads and he's just going to understand it. 
because his language development is to a level that it, it's just going to seem automatic. But there are also going to be these sentences that, frankly, the kid reads it and just has no idea what in the heck it says and doesn't know what to do. And of course, if the kid isn't super motivated, you know, he's just going to either keep going on or, or what I'm seeing happening, it, it, especially at the high school level in my observations, uh, you know, when kids hit a couple of these sentences in a row that they just can't make sense of, they start turning pages. You know, you think, well, they just missed that sentence. No, they they decide I can't understand this. Maybe if I go to you know the next section, I'll I'll be able to get it. Yeah. You know, they just and so you know, gee, they lost a page and a half there. They lost, right. uh, you know, they they just can't make sense of it, and they don't know what to do with it. And and you know, we just don't. I don't think we offer kids enough support there. Um, there, there's an old body of research on things like sentence combining and and sentence reducing, where you you know you essentially on the, the sentence combining you take kernel sentences, you know like uh, you know John went to school, Mary went to school, and, and, and you know that kind of thing, and then you try to put them together and make you know bigger, more you know complex sentences out of them. And sentence reducing, of course, you do the opposite. You try to take these big sentences and break them down into separate ideas and, and, and such. And very, very consistently across that research, there was improvement both to writing uh, and to uh, reading comprehension. Wow, that's really interesting. And making a bit of a shift back to something that you said about disciplinary. You were talking about the example in science, but I would imagine that, you know, it looks at sentence structure and things that happen within text differently based on the content that you're engaged with. And so with middle schoolers, they must need some support in that. Yeah, in fact, most states now recognize that and have what are called disciplinary reading standards, disciplinary literacy standards, uh, that what it means to to make sense of, of science is very different than what it you know, means to make sense of text in, in say, a, a history class or a literature class. Each of these um, fields of study creates knowledge in, in unique ways, specialized ways, and, and those, those ways of, of creating and communicating and, and uh, critiquing knowledge uh, because they differ, they really entail different reading and writing skills. They construct different kinds of texts. They use somewhat different language. Uh, their grammar differs. The, obviously, their vocabularies differ. Um, and so, essentially, grades 6 through 12, uh, more than 40 states now require uh, that kids be taught those those more specialized uh, kinds of, of reading that... Uh, 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 you need to know. Uh, my wife and I have done, uh, you know, a, a, a series of studies where we were looking at uh, the ways, for example, that historians read, how mathematicians read, how chemists read, uh, you know, trying to understand, uh, you know, what some of those specialized forms are and what it would take to, to actually share those with kids in effective ways. So what does this mean then for the middle school ELA teacher who has maybe 45 minutes in their block? Seems like a lot of work that needs to be done in that 45 minutes. Well, you know, I think that's uh, something we need to, to change how we think about. Um, you're absolutely right. If, if it's the ELA teacher who's responsible for all of this, uh, 
you know, it's it's not only a formidable job, it's an impossible job. Uh, I, frankly, I don't think most ELA teachers, including me, uh, are really, uh, you know, equipped or qualified to, to teach the literacy that's required in, say, a math class or in a science class. Uh, I think the way we have to look at it is much more that the way my my teachers in Chicago did when I was director of reading there, and that is, uh, we we can't uh, expect kids to learn this kind of thing in 45 minutes, and we can't expect them to learn it in in the ELA class. Uh, you have to uh, have the all the the teachers, the science teachers, the social studies teachers, and so on. Uh, they have to be knowledgeable about the language and literacy of their field of study, and they have to let kids in on the cognitive secrets of those fields of study. Uh, you know, kids read, say, a, a history book, and they read it thinking it's factual. They read it thinking that what it is is just, you know, telling, you know, the story of how things used to be. They're often bored with that. When you talk to historians, they'll tell you, no, that those texts aren't factual, they're, they're argumentative, that they're, they're claims about history, and that what the reader has to do is join the argument, that these are plausible stories, uh, you know, based on the historical record. They're what we, we think happened, but, but a good deal of it is constructed, and you have to, you have to really, uh, you know, get inside it and read some primary documents and get, you know, multiple perspectives on a text and so on, which is very different than what a science teacher would tell you. Or what a scientist would tell you, uh, and and so it's uh, you know those kinds of things ought to be happening to kids throughout their school day. In in Chicago, I mandated two hours a day of reading and writing instruction, which scared the heck out of my content teachers because they were sure I would I meant that we were going to just hire a ton of reading teachers and fire all the content teachers. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't need them anymore. Uh, but what I was really talking about and what we all agreed needed to be done is, you know, kids have to be reading and writing in a math class. They need to be reading and writing in a, uh, a science class and so on. But they need to be doing the reading and writing of those fields of study, uh, building that knowledge base, learning how to deal with the special text features of those fields of study. Um, <clears throat> and if you look at a math book, or you look at a science book, and we often talk about math and science like they're they're so closely together, but they're constructed totally differently. The, the textbooks or the you know any of the, the kinds of texts in these fields, uh, you know, in math, it's a very linear delivery of information. You know, if they want to show you a formula or a chart or a you know some kind of graphic, it's embedded right in the text exactly where they want you to see it. In science. Because the nature of science, you have to, essentially every science text is going to have both prose and graphics and mathematical formulas and such. And what they, 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 you have to do is move among them. You know, you, you look at the table, you read the sentence, you go back and look at the formula, you, you know, read another sentence, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and so kids have to learn how to do that kind of reading. Uh, somebody has to actually show them. Um, how to use those different text features. <clears throat> and that just isn't happening enough. Hmm. Well, it feels like there is a lot of important work to be done in the middle school, preparing them for later schooling as an extension of sort of the things we do with them in the early grades. 
So as we bring this to a close, I'm wondering if you can give our middle school teachers who are listening some takeaways, like maybe one or two things you really want them to remember as it relates to their work with middle schoolers. Sure. Well, certainly one thing I would say to the, the middle school ELA teacher is, you know, I've, I made a big deal about the, the math and science and social studies teachers, you know, playing their role. Uh, the fact is, literature is is really a discipline as well. And, you know, that's solely the responsibility of the ELA department. So you've got a big job to do there. Uh, you definitely have some role to play in teaching, you know, those general reading strategies and helping kids with, you know, language generally in, in text so that they, you know, they can, you know, read and write, uh, you know, in, in, in certainly some, some basic forms. But you also have this, this uh, you know, specialized responsibility for things like uh, well, uh, a literary close read. Uh, yes. you know, what does it mean to, to, to do a close read in literature? Well, you know, it means really to, to try to read very independently, that, you know, try to not, uh, you know, connect this text up too much with other texts, but to, to really deeply evaluate the, the language choice and the structures that the, the author has built into their story or poem or, or play. Uh, so that would be one thing. And, and if I can go one more direction on this, a lot of times the ELA teachers are the ones who get the, the lowest readers or are given you know, responsibilities for, you know, perhaps they get a, a class or two of, of kids who are just struggling readers, maybe an extra reading class to try to you know, build their comprehension and, and, and such. And I think in a lot of cases, those teachers, um, because of the rhetoric in the field, often feel like there's really not much they can do. You know, we hear it again and again that, uh, you know, if you don't address kids' reading problems early on, you know, they never get addressed. Uh, yeah. That isn't because they can't be addressed later, say during the middle school years. It's just that we normally don't do it or we don't do it very effectively. And so they really have uh, some incredible power to make a big difference in these kids' lives, and, and they really can teach these uh, older students to read better. Uh, they just have to you know, sort of <laughs> you know, believe that they can do it and, and you know, put in the, the, the work that's necessary for that, uh, which is hard to do if you're not sure that you can actually make any kind of difference. Uh, they can make a big difference. Yeah, I really appreciate that because we do talk about that. We talk about if the end of first grade, they're not on track, they're in trouble. The end of third grade, if they're not on track, they're in trouble. And then, you know, the fourth grade NAEP scores. So it's a really good reminder that even if you have those kids in middle school that are struggling, you still can make a difference in their lives. We really appreciate you being on today, Tim. And if our listeners don't know where to find you and how to follow your work, where can we point them in our show notes? I would love it if they would come to my website, Shanahan on Literacy. Uh, there is tons of information about the teaching of reading. Uh, and in fact, if they want to subscribe to my, my blog posts, uh, they're among the most read in the field. Uh, and you know, it's all free stuff and there's no advertising or sales or politics or bad language or anything on the site. So it's something that they can feel very comfortable that they can go there and, and get a lot of information without a lot of hassle. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Thanks, everybody.
We're so grateful to our amazing guest today and to all of you making a difference in the lives of students every single day. Be sure to check the show notes for resource links from today's podcast, and we want to hear your stories and successes. Follow us on Facebook at Science of Reading, the community, or send an email to sormatters at amplify.com. Tell us what guests you think we should book, or tell us about the research that really excites you. And be sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Susan Lambert from Amplify Education.